beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. bonus episode is really kicking off a bit of a self-improvement September, self-help September, self-care September. I mean, not officially or anything, but as it turns out, I have several guests coming at you in September with books and tips and thoughts on just making these little changes in our life that can make a huge difference from small things like cleaning out your closet to big things like finding your voice. And that is what you're going to hear Andrea, Owen, and I talk about today. Finding your voice, making some noise. I read Andrea Owen's new book, Make Some Noise, and her backstory, which she's going to share on this episode, was so interesting And I knew that what she was saying was a message that I needed to hear and maybe something that you needed to hear also. So I'm super glad to welcome author and speaker Andrea Owen to the podcast. You can find out more about Andrea at andreaowen.com, spelled just how you think it would be. She's also on Instagram as heyandreaowen. And then her new book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength is out now wherever books are sold. I hope you enjoy our conversation and have a great holiday weekend. Andrea, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. I am so excited to be here. I already know that I like you because we've been chatting beforehand, so I am ready to meet your audience. Well, I already know that I like you because I read (laughs) your book and then I immediately went and bought your second book, your previous book, 
right away, like as soon as I finished. And that's like the biggest testament that I can give that I enjoyed something I'll if I went to buy their you. backlist. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, I do want to talk to you about your new book that came out this week. It's called Make Some Noise. It's your third book. But for my audience who might not be familiar with you yet, can you just give a little bit of introduction to yourself and like who you are and how you got to be writing these type of books that are really empowering to women? Um, And I really love this, but I want to hear a little bit of how you got here. Yeah, well, it's kind of a funny, not funny story. Uh, it's it's funny-ish now, but it certainly wasn't when it happened. So I actually heard about life coaching as a career back in about 2003, and it was very much in its infancy then. And I saw this website and I told my husband at the time, so this that was my first husband and I was married to, we are no longer married. Uh, and I said, I think this is such a cool career, but I feel like to be a great life coach, you would need some good life experience. And I was like 27 at the time and I didn't have a whole lot of life experience then. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, as he and I were planning on conceiving our first child, he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and we divorced and it was dramatic and traumatic. We had been together for 13 years at that point. I was very close to his family. We had started dating when I was 17 and we split up and I immediately got into a relationship with someone whom I thought was Mr. Right. Turns out he, you know, I'll give you the very short version. He lied about having cancer, lied about having terminal cancer for the entirety of our relationship to cover up a drug addiction that he had that I was paying for because I thought I was paying for his cancer medication. I also found out I was pregnant with his child the week I found out <laughs> that it was all a lie. And then I had essentially been conned. So I was laying on the floor. It was the proverbial rock bottom moment. And, and I know for a lot of people, they were laying on the bathroom floor. I was laying on my bedroom floor and just thinking like, how did I get here? I was 31 at the time. I just felt so stupid and ashamed of where I had ended up. And also looking at the common denominator was me. <laughs> this isn't to put all the blame on me, but I had to take some responsibility that I had ignored my intuition that I had tolerated, I mean, less than crumbs from both of these men. And I, I needed to take responsibility. So I picked myself up and dove into personal development and recovery, 12-step programs, et cetera. And that was the beginning of my personal development journey. And then a little bit after that is when I started my professional journey and got certified in life coaching and then went and was certified in Brene Brown's methodology. And it's just sort of all cascaded from there. And then I found myself writing three books and getting remarried and having two kids. And it's a lot has happened. (laughs) You tell briefly those romantic relationship stories in the book also, which is are like jaw droppingly dramatic. I mean, they're like soap opera dramatic. They really are. Mm -hmm. But then I get to the part where you you know, pick yourself up off the floor and dive into personal development. And I'm like, do you think that that's just something in you innate? Because you could have easily, you know, just done a woe is me. You were legitimately conned. That's not, you know, on you. And so like, I mean, I guess I'm asking because I have found myself over the years and looking back at my path now, I'm in my forties of like, where did that drive happen that that took you towards a positive path when so many of us don't, you know what I mean? It goes the other way. I I love that question. And there's a, there's a few things for the record. I definitely stayed in that. Woe is me place for a while. (laughs) I won't lie. I 
just consumed anyone who would give me sympathy, who would be on, like, I wanted everybody to be on team Andrea and understand that my exes were horrible to me. And, and quite honestly, that only worked for a little while, you know, that, that feeling of victimization. And, and also, I also know that I was born optimistic and there's a really great book called the how of happiness where the authors looked at, they did their own research about people's, what they call like their set point for their happiness and how some people just have a different happiness set point and that your circumstance is really only a lot for about 10% of your happiness. So I do think I'm on like the higher scale of, of happiness just naturally. And, and that's not to say that people can't be resilient who don't have that. I, had, I just want to acknowledge that I do think it came a little bit easier for me. And also, and the last thing is that I have found that I am highly motivated when I am underestimated. And I saw that happening, whether it was real or not, I took it as, oh, you think I'm not worth being married to? Like, let me show you how successful I can be. Let me show you what you're missing. And, and I, you know, I've gone back and forth with, do I think that was healthy? And at the end of the day, I do think that most ways of motivating yourself can be healthy. You know, I don't think that people should beat themselves up into betterment, but I think a little underestimation can help people be resilient and be successful. Right. I'm wondering though, because now you coach a lot of clients and you've had like a lot of success in that way, but is it must be harder to coach someone whose baseline is like mm-hmm. a more negative, you know, than someone who's more positive. And, and I know there's no like setting answer to that. There's still a million factors into our like personality and to our DNA into our culture into our privilege and to all sorts of ways that give us the mindsets that we have. But I just, when I meet someone like you or talk to someone like you, I'm just always curious, like, did that just rise from within or <laughs> what happened? Well, and I can tell you too, it wasn't easy. You know, there were, there were ups and downs. I mean, there were moments where I was in my apartment with my cat and a bottle of wine, you know, just feeling so sorry for myself and having, having these huge setbacks. And, and also I think it's fair to mention that I have complex PTSD from that. Something that I did not want to accept. My doctor told me that I had it. My therapist told me had it. I had it. And I said, no, 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 that's reserved for people who have been to to war and combat people who have experienced violence, even women who've experienced incredibly difficult, you know, miscarriages and things like that. My dysfunctional relationship, my toxic. And then I realized my abusive relationship does not cause PTSD, you know, more specifically complex PTSD. And then I had to face the reality that that was actually true. So I say that because it it wasn't, it definitely wasn't linear and Mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't always easy. And I also, I tend to attract women who are similar to me in a, in a private one-on-one setting, but I know, you know, it's really across the board with the women that listen to my, my podcast and read my books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I also thought it was interesting that you start your book, make some noise with kind of the acknowledgement that you created this book from a place of anger mm-hmm. and that that gave you pause because, you know, the tone police says that angry women like won't be received well, or people wouldn't want to read something from an angry woman. And I just, I thought it was so interesting that you acknowledge that like out the gate where this came from and that you struggled yourself with the tone of that. 
you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. You know, and my, my literary agent always encourages me and she's, this is what makes her a great literary agent, like always encourages me to write from the heart. And she says like, Andrea, that's why you're successful. And that's why you've built this community of, of women who read your books and, and relate to you and trust you. And I, I was sitting in the airport when I wrote that. And I don't even remember what, I think I just decided to sit down and, you know, and, and that is a letter to the reader. Like I am speaking directly to the reader, to the person who picks it up. And I also wanted to set the tone from the get-go and no, the whole book isn't me, you know, on like a fiery rant, but I, I wanted people to know what the foundation was. And I think the only thing I want to add to it is that, you know, for, I would say even decades, I have apologized for coming on too strong for being too assertive. I can't tell you how many people, both men and women who have told me that, that I'm intimidating and I have learned to constantly read a room, constantly, you know, read body language, which is, you know, what we, most of us do. And, and even I, I learned that, and I learned this on TikTok that many women tend to raise their eyebrows a lot. Uh, in an effort to be more likable, to like open up your face. And I was oh. like, oh my God, I do that. <laughs> because I know I can come across as aggressive and assertive. And I do think that I'm just naturally smiley, but I, I wonder if I'm, if I'm as smiley naturally as I do because I want people to like me. It's become such a habit as a woman that I, I do think there are times where I go overboard to be likable. Well, for me, that whole anger piece was like permission giving because, yeah. you know, some people, their whole stance is from a place of anger. Like that's their whole messaging and that can be empowering. And that can be, you know, very, um, raw, raw, you know, in a good way, like that can really yeah. like build up a community from a place of anger. The fact that you said, that you wrestled with it, like that you wrestled with your own tone of it. That's what felt permission giving to me about it was not just like, oh, we should all be angry. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. It wasn't that. It was more of like, I'm angry and I'm worried that that's not going to be receptive, but right. it's the truth. And I was like, oh, that's so refreshing to start that way. It just was permission giving to me. So yeah. I appreciated that. Yeah. And I was, I was pissed. Like I, I still am. <laughs> I'm pissed that this culture puts us in a box, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I just wanted to, to make sure people knew. And I, I do think that there's some anger that is very righteous. So I appreciate you saying that. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. 
With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. When you talk about how this starts so early, this messaging towards women to not make some noise, to be smaller, to be quieter, to be more pleasing, to not set their own boundaries, to not set their own standards. And you tell this story about it starts as young, like in a business sense or in an assertive sense, as when we were, we're teenagers and we're asked to babysit or we're asked what our rates are to babysit. And I have a daughter who's about to turn 12. She doesn't babysit yet, but just when you talk about our daughters and when we, you talk about the mindset of that age of our life, this sort of preteen teenager and, and the messaging that we're getting, I think that just especially resonated with me. So will you tell us about the babysitter money thing? Cause I think yes. that was so good. So my daughter is also almost 12 in about three weeks, she'll be 12. And what happened was, is that we moved to North Carolina from another state and we were looking for babysitters as one does. Our, our kids were a lot smaller then and we didn't know anyone. And so I, I was asking around on Facebook and I got some names and I had reached out to probably five or six different teenage girls and asked them, you know, their availability as well as what their rates are. Cause it can vary state to state. And I'm like, I don't want to like not ask and then have them come over and be like, I charge $30 an hour. I'm like, what? So I just, you know, it's just questions that you gather. And I noticed that the vast majority of, I think only one of them actually told me how much she charged an hour. And the rest of them said, oh, it's fine. Just whatever you want to pay me is good. And I, I probably wouldn't have noticed if it wasn't the fact that most of them said that. And it got me thinking when my daughter is of babysitting age, which is typically a first job for girls, it's very common. Do I want her to answer that way? Or would I even think to tell her otherwise? <laughs> or would I want to prep with her ahead of time and her look at what the value is that she brings? You know, is she going to offer light cleaning or making sure all the dishes are done or, or making sure she tells the parents ahead of time, hey, I'm going to make sure all the dishes are done that we do. And if you need me to do fold up some laundry, I'm happy to do that. Like that brings extra value and she should charge accordingly for that. 
And I was posting about it on Facebook and expressing my opinion that I think we should prepare our daughters to, to also to negotiate. If a parent says like, you know, I charge or I, I pay $5 an hour for the girl to say, well, actually I charge 10. Would you be willing to, to do that? Things like that. These skills that I certainly didn't get as a Gen Xer mm -hmm. and I doubt very many women did. So I was talking about that on Facebook. It got shared hundreds and hundreds of times, got media attention. And here's also the interesting thing. The most of the comments were from women saying, I had never thought about it that way, you know, just kind of neutral. And then I got some pushback. I got some, both men and women saying, no, that is disrespectful. A girl should just pay whatever the parents are willing to pay them. And I was like, what in the 1950s <laughs> advice is that? Like, no, that's not how I'm going to raise my daughter. And it was just really interesting, the, uh, the difference of opinions there. And I just, I think we need to teach our, our daughters young about money and about mm. negotiating. I don't think that's the only reason that's contributing to the wage gap. Um, there are other factors, but I, I think that that is an important thing for parents to start young with their kids, both boys and girls, but more specifically girls, because research shows that girls tend to, sorry, women tend to not negotiate in their jobs as much as men do. Well, and it's not just about the logistics of it, right? Because that could vary. Like you said, if there's extra work involved, how many kids there are, what region exactly. of the US you're in, like there's a lot of logistics that can go into setting a rate. But the sort of aha moment for me was, well, you're letting someone else determine, but tell you what your time is worth starting that young so that then when you have your first kind of real job right out of college or whatever, you also just accept the salary. No, you've always been Which is used exactly to what I did in my first. Yes. Time. You said, then you said that later in the book, like you, mm -hmm. you're just so used to someone else telling you like what this job is worth. And I wonder if, and that this is not like wholly a gendered conversation by any means, but I do think that the same messaging applies to girls who at 13 are babysitting, which there's like such a variance of what that might pay versus let's say in a complete generality that boys at 13 might be mowing lawns and there might be a more set rate. Like there's a different value to what mowing a lawn is worth. That sweaty work, you know, might be in the neighborhood a set rate and, and babysitting can be expected to be given away for free all the way to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To way under minimum wage or whatever. And it feels like that is also like a deeper messaging that we're learning of like the maternal work, you know, it doesn't have a set value and, and is determined by someone other than the person doing the work. And oftentimes it's worth less. Yeah. Yes. Well, and here's the interesting part I want to throw in is that the, the one girl who did tell me her rate, she told me, she said, it's $12 an hour and I have a two hour minimum. And I was like, dang. <laughs> okay. And then I, and then I ended up um, befriending her mom because another child of hers was in my kid's class. And I asked her and I said, you know, your daughter, I had this great experience with her. And at first I was sort of taken aback, but then I really admire that. And she said, I taught her that. And I was like, go figure. That's right. <laughs> Look at that. Did that, mm -hmm. I mean, you don't even have to answer this, but did that make you want to hire that girl more or did it make you 
like, did it have an emotional effect? Yes. Um, and at first, no, because she was more expensive than the other (laughs) girls, but then I'm like, it's only like, it's really not that much money at the end of the day. And also I noticed that I was a little bit judgy. Like it was my own internalized misogyny in the beginning, which I picked up on very quickly. But then what I circled back with was these are the types of young women I want my daughter to be around. The mm-hmm. ones who are assertive and, you know, speak directly to parents and, you know, look them in the eye. And I, and I don't think that one is good or bad, but I just, I think that like, and even things like we switched financial advisors because I wanted a female, a woman to do it because I want to, I want my daughter to see women in banking and finance, which mm-hmm. isn't that often. So that's, that's where I circled back with, with that particular babysitter. I think that's, it's also interesting. It really made me think about a lot of things I maybe need to hone in on, on my almost 12 year old girl, that it is sort of these little daily examples. That's what I liked a lot about your book is that it wasn't all theoretical. It was like these very daily examples of how this messaging of, of making ourselves smaller or quieter, more pleasing like plays out in our everyday life. It wasn't like this whole historical look, nor was it these big pie in the sky things. It was like, no, every little story that you told, like these little daily stories, I was like, oh, I relate to that. I totally see how this is playing out. One of those was a date that you were on that was going splendidly with a very funny guy and you were laughing and being your great self. And then what happened? So I was, this was what, 16 years ago before I met my, my current husband that I'm married to now. And I was on a date, met him on match.com. He was so funny in his profile and we had phone calls and we had really great banter and chemistry together. And I wasn't all that physically attracted to him, but I mean, when someone's funny and you have a, you have chemistry that way, a lot of times, you, you know, you end up liking them even so. So we are, it was our first date in person and we were waiting for our table at the bar at a Mexican restaurant, having margaritas. And he's telling me this story that is so funny. And I'm just so engaged and enthralled with this story. And so he gets to kind of the the crescendo or the punchline of the story. And I shouted out, shut the front door. But instead of shut the front door, (laughs) I said the other F word that sometimes people say. And to me, that's a reasonable, like, I don't say that all the time, but it's a reasonable expression to someone that you know pretty well and that you feel comfortable with and that you have, you know, this funny banter back and forth. And he paused and he looked right at me and he said, well, you're too sweet and pretty to use that kind of language. And I was, I was so, so this was before I had done all the work on myself. I was so shocked and embarrassed and ashamed that I couldn't even like muster up a rebuttal like I, at, at that moment. And I, you know, instead of excusing myself from the date or talking back, I ended up going home and sleeping with him on the first date when I didn't even really want to. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, those are two examples, really, you know, that the not speaking up for myself and the going home and saying yes to him when I really didn't want to, so that he would like me more. That's what I was doing in that moment. And we ended up not working out. And, and I, I'll never forget that. And, oh, it just, even when I think about it, it makes me sick to my stomach a little bit. But even like, I've also done a lot of work on myself in the last few years and a lot of different ways. And like, I just a lot of different work. And I can see myself doing something like that right now. Like even Mm -hmm. after you are more self-aware and like, 
I can think of in the last couple of years where I've held my tongue for the bad reasons. Occasionally there's, you know, a good reason to hold your tongue. And I have stuffed it down and made myself because I didn't want to change, you know, I didn't want to kill the vibe or I didn't want someone to think less of me. I just didn't speak up for myself or I didn't like put the other person right back in their place. Cause what they're trying to do in that moment is put you in your place. I mean, even if he enjoyed you, he was still trying to like, be like, Oh, he wanted me to stay in my lane. He wanted me to just be pretty and, you know, enjoy his jokes and laugh at his jokes. And that was about, about it. Yeah. It makes me mad. It makes me mad for you. It makes me mad for me because I can think of all the ways that this happens on a daily basis. And the, the women who immediately would pop back with something smart and amazing or whatever, they're thought of as not very likable. Yeah. Well, and, and like my personality would be to snap back. And I, the only reason I didn't, I think was because I was in a place where I was newly single. I, you know, didn't have all that much experience dating because I'd met my, my husband when I was 17. And I just, I was so again, like, you know how it takes, there's some people where it takes a lot to make them speechless. Like that's me. And that was one of those moments where I just was like, did you really just say that? Yeah. It was not my favorite moment. Yeah. God, I, I, that's such a little, not a little moment because you read about it in your books, obviously big enough like that, but a little, again, one of these like daily moments where you're like, God, I just am like, ah, mm-hmm. I've been there. You know, I've totally been there. Another thing that you talk about in the book that we talk about on this show a lot, and that actually people ask me a lot about as well. And I really liked how you talked about it is listening to your intuition and mm-hmm. how important that is. And noticing and having a lot of compassion for yourself. You have little sections at the end of every chapter that asks the reader to, to notice and have compassion for themselves. But then you also talk about a question that you get a lot, which is how does a person recognize the difference between our intuition when we're trying to tune in and hear that small voice and fear which comes up. And sometimes like we start to think, well, is is that intuition that I'm having? Or is is that something I'm scared of? And I can't always tell the difference, but I like how you talked Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. And, you know, to preface that some, there are moments and situations where I can't tell the difference, where I have to just either wait it out or just make a decision either way and just hope for the best. And then in retrospect is when I see the signs. So that's sort of how I've learned. And I also want to preface this by saying that and I talk about this in the book about trauma and how that can influence your intuition. So some there are some teachers out there who make it sound as simple as, you know, with sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and use code U, Y-O-U. You just need to listen to your gut, just listen to your intuition. And then, and there's some people that hear that and think, I can't, like, what is wrong with me? There's got to be something that I'm, I'm missing. And, and for many people, it's because they've experienced trauma. For the people who, for instance, grew up in a home where there was dysfunction or addiction or even abuse, and then the next day, the parents and or siblings pretended like nothing was wrong, that can mess with a child because it makes them feel like their reality isn't what's really happening. So then when they're listening to their intuition, they might not believe it because again, their their reality is confusing and, and it just, it can cause some problems with listening to your gut. So I say that because if there's anybody out there listening who has trouble listening to their gut, it might be directly related to you know, any kind of trauma that they ex- have experienced in their life, not just in childhood. And so the, the main thing that I tell people in listening to your intuition and how it might sound different from fear is that fear has a charge around it. Fear is typically makes you immediately afraid. It's a fear story. And a lot of times it's, it's just, it's heavily charged and you can feel it in your body. And Different people have different physiology that happens when they feel fear and also at different levels. So for me, when it's like high anxiety and high fear, I might have tingling armpits, rapid heart rate, mouth gets dry a little bit. And also the thoughts spin very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And if it's your intuition, there's typically not a charge around it emotionally. So there's no emotion around it. It's very quiet and just a knowing, and we typically can't explain it. Fear, there's usually a story. <laughs> yeah. Intuition, no. And sometimes intuition doesn't, it, we, it, it doesn't make sense sometimes. So for, I'll give you a quick example of something that's happening right now. COVID is still happening. We're dealing with this more contagious variant and schools are going back in session. My daughter's school made masks optional and they made it one half day because open house, anyway, it's a long story. There was a huge outbreak and they've been home doing virtual and I'm, she's trying to be vaccinated. And I, a lot of parents are freaking out, you know, worried about their kid getting COVID and spreading it. And my intuition told me, you know what? She's going to be okay. Like she's going to be fine. Even if she catches COVID and I can't explain that we got her tested for COVID. She doesn't have it. And you know, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do to try to do the right thing with this school. And it's a long, boring story. I'll spare you the details, but all that to say it was unexplainable. It was a gut feeling. And I have plenty of opportunity to be scared about this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the news and social media and oh my God. And yeah, and it's, and it's again, like, I wish I had a better way of explaining it, but that's kind of, that's kind of how intuition that's its brand. Like it's, mm-hmm. you can't explain it. Yeah. You know, when I go a long time where not, not like a super long time, you know, we're just weeks when I'm feeling off track, I'm not feeling myself and my intuition gets so muffled. Like I uh-huh. can really struggle with the disconnect. And then when I try to tune myself back in, I'm trying to meditate, I'm trying to be mindful or whatever. 
I, it takes practice. Like it's not just, there's not a light switch. You know, I have to really like examine every time I'm having a thing, I have to really examine, is this intuition? Is this my anxiety? Is this fear? What is this? And I feel like I have to, several times a year, I have to like reteach myself. I have to relearn to listen to myself because it, you know, if you get, it's a muscle that has to be strengthened and it, it can, you can get out of whack so quickly. It's a lot like our electronic devices. Like I just, you know, I had some apps that were acting up this morning and I'm like, I don't think I've shut my phone down in a few weeks. And so I shut it down while I was working out and restarted it. And we do that so that the phone can recalibrate when it starts back up up and it runs through all this, like, you know, diagnostic type of stuff. And I think your example points to that. Like we need to do that with our bodies and our minds and our spirits sometimes. And life can get so busy that we just forget. And we have all these apps open. It's like, no wonder we get glitchy. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Your book is full of tools and ways to think about these things and like some actual action moments throughout. But the one that really stood out to me is creating an alter ego. Like if you Mm -hmm. are not naturally inclined to make some noise, if you will, or if the thought is just very paralyzing, but you know that you need to in your workplace, in your relationships, on social media, wherever you are feeling like drawn to make a little bit of noise, but you just like cannot figure out how to make that work. You talk about creating an alter ego. I love that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm flipping to the page in the book. Um, I know people can't see us, but, but you can, I just want to make sure that I, I go through all the tools correctly. Cause I've been, I've been known to throw in an extra tool <laughs> and confuse people. So I came up with this because I was thinking about when I used to play roller derby and I'm retired now. I would probably break all of my bones if I went on the track right now. But for those of you that aren't familiar with roller derby, most of the skaters create what's called a derby name. And some of them are really funny. My derby name was Veronica Vane because Veronica, Veronica Vane only cared about two things, you know, kicking ass out on the track and looking great while she was doing it. And it's one of those things that's so interesting to watch when you're, when you play roller derby and in derby culture, where for most of the skaters, like they live their alter ego when it's game day, when it's bout day. And, and I was looking into it and doing the research and there's been other books written on it. And this isn't new. Beyonce has done it as Sasha Fierce. Uh, Christina Aguilera has done it as Extina. David Bowie did it with, oh my gosh, what was the name of his alter ego? Now I Ziggy can't Ziggy Stardust. Yes, Ziggy. thank you. Thank you, Ziggy mm-hmm. Stardust. And I, I walk people through it uh, in the book and, and it can even be sort of, uh, I mean, it can be whatever you want, but you know, one of my favorite characters in movies, and I talk about this in another part of the book is Cha-Cha de Gregorio from the movie Grease because she had, she was over the top with her confidence. And I don't recommend all of her attributes, <laughs> but I mean, even if you could just examine part of how someone is, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, like, you know, Michelle Obama or, or whoever it is that you admired, Lady Gaga, who's a celebrity or an athlete, like what is it about them specifically that you admire? And you can create your alter ego. It can be different attributes from your grandmother or real people in your life. It doesn't have to be women. It can be men. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. And, and it can be a fun exercise. I think it's really fun. And also what I want people to use it for is to call on it 
when they need it. So if you are afraid to have a hard conversation with your partner about creating more balance with the chores at home, if you are nervous to show up to a meeting with your school's teacher, because things haven't been going the way that you want them to, and it's, it's just uncomfortable conversations. There's so many instances where it would be helpful for us to have a little more confidence. And that's what this tool will hopefully help people do. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it being a fictional character like Cha-Cha. Like Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I've talked about this like ad nauseum, but I saw that movie Troop Beverly Hills when I was like a little kid. I don't remember that movie. Shelley Long. Uh Yes. (laughs) Shelley Long as Phyllis Neffler, this like absolutely ridiculous over the top Beverly Hills woman with like all of her crazy outfits, but she was also like a loving mom and scout leader, but she was, you know, she was a lot, she was a lot of personality. And I grew up in like a one stop light, tiny little town in Oklahoma. And for me, that movie, that character, like, I was like, I didn't even know. I understood even when I was young that it was like parody, that it was a silly movie and a silly character. But even still, I was like, I didn't even know that was an option, a way to be. And it like made me want to be more like that. Like I was like, when I was, when I'm an adult, I also want to be like that. Now, obviously I'm not like Phyllis Neffler, but I did move to Los Angeles. Like it did give me, it give, it gave me like a signpost of like, I want to be over the top slash kind and loving. And sometimes you have to have an example like that. And it does not matter to me that it was fictional. I mean, even still that, that kind of alter ego, whatever you can draw from to give you a little bit of courage is we lose that in adulthood. Like when we're young, yeah. we have that in superheroes and, and yeah, that kind of we thing. have underwear with like our superheroes on them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then we lose it when we're older as, as an example. And I, we don't have to lose it. It's totally valid to like draw strength from wherever that well mm-hmm. is for you. Yeah. I have a wall in my office um, that you can't see, but it, you know, Dolly Parton is on there. Madonna is on there. And like, these are, you know, women that I admire and, I love that, that that was your character and, and I'm, I'm, you described it a little bit, but can you say a little bit more about what it was about her that you loved so much? Well, I, it started out like very surface. I loved her crazy outfits. Like yeah. I thought she looked amazing. She had like a sequined bird on her shoulder. Like it was like part of her dress. Sort of like and I was Myra like, wrote Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek. Just like the permission she gave herself for that's yes. self-expression. Yeah. Like I was like, that is just fabulous. Are we allowed to dress like that? Even if it's silly like this, I didn't, my town, my mom is amazing and she's a beautiful dresser, but she's like biz. She was a businesswoman. So she wore like suits every day, like a Navy suit every day. I did not have any example of a sequin bird on the shoulder. Like that was like, not, that was outrageous to me. And I loved it because I felt like that's who I am inside. Is that woman? Oh my God. Well, like, I wish that the listeners could see you right now because that's the most excited I've seen you in the last 40 minutes. And like, that's what I want people to tap into. So for the longest time, I had a post-it on my computer that said, what would Cha-Cha do? And I, it must've lost its sticky and fallen off, but I'm going to put it back on based on this conversation. Because <laughs> there's plenty of moments, even still where I hesitate to do the big thing or post, you know, too many times on social media. And, and you know, Cha-Cha, would not care like how many times she was posting on social media. 
No, yeah. it's such a good, it's such a good tool. Okay, Andrea, I love this conversation. This was so fun. Will you tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can buy your book, where they can follow you on social? Yep. So there's a bunch of bonuses too, that I want to mention for people because I yes. ask over 250 questions in this book. I'm essentially coaching people to learn how to coach themselves. I wanted people to have a workbook that they didn't have to buy and it's free. So it's at andreaowen.com slash noise. The only thing is that we ask you to buy the book in any format, audio, ebook, print, and you can get that for free among other things too, that are on that page. And then I have a podcast of the same name, make some noise. And my, you can, I hang out the most probably on Instagram and that's, Hey, Andrea Owen and TikTok. I love TikTok. Same handle. Amazing. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was super fun. Thank you, Laura. It's been super fun. Thank you, everybody. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 Things to Tell You. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.